I was in college and uh, I started out, <clears throat> I, well, I had known I was called to be in some type of ministry since I was like right before I went into college and I went into college and um, I went, I took theology classes and I got C's or less in all of them. And so I switched to business, which is, I'm sorry, easier. And, uh, and it was for me, and I loved it. And so this is kind of like how my expectations went after I got into full-time ministry. So it was really neat that you got to see that. But, uh, but I don't know if you've had any part of your life that's like that, where you start out thinking, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I've gone through this decline too. Like, I'm going to be a professional athlete. And like, well, I'll just play in college. Well, I'll just, you know stay in a men's league. Oh, okay, well, maybe I'll, I just won't, you know, it's just, you kind of just go down all the way, and that's what we were talking about for the next few weeks. Expectations, where do they come from? Why are they dangerous? How do you avoid them? And how do we avoid placing them on other people in order to weigh them down and have them uh, feel the weight of our expectations? And, and so that's what we're going to be talking about. I have a friend who is uh, kind of gone the up other way of that expectations thing we saw. They've been in the same company for 25 years. They've been, uh, they've moved their way up, 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 up. And the whole time, their mom has been telling them that they're not going to amount to anything. Um, and, and it started when they were very, very little. And so this is what drives them, that, that I, I will amount to something. And so with each promotion, it's almost like a looking back at the mom going, is it, is it good enough yet? No, it's not good enough. And each promotion, each promotion. And what makes it even worse is that now it's no longer the mom's expectations. He has now adopted these expectations as his own. And even though he's got a great job with a great retirement, and I mean, you and I would look at this guy and go, what is your problem? Because he's not the CEO, he's a failure which means all of this time and all of this stuff has been worthless to him. Where does that come from? Why would you put those kinds of expectations on yourself? If you're a parent, why would you put that kind of expectation on your kids? Some of us have kids where we thought, oh man, they're going to be Ivy League school. And okay, maybe not Ivy League, maybe, you know, JC's not bad. Okay, trade school. Okay, maybe, you know. Maybe they just won't, when, they, when their sentencing happens, maybe it, they won't go away for too long. It's just all that, where, where does it come from? What I want to talk about this morning is to see a little bit about where these expectations come from, why we adopt them, um, and then what can we do in the midst of them? Because the other thing that happens is we use expectations on each other to stay in power. So if, I, if we're in a relationship and I have expectations of you that I don't verbalize. I can just sit there with my arms crossed and shake my head as you try to perform over and over and over again. And I can just sit there and go, nope, 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 nope. And what happens? I stay in power. Where does that come from? So we're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, and then in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about expectations we have for each other. Uh, and and, and, and uh, kind of flesh that out. And we'll also talk about expectations we have for God. But what we talked about last week is we set everything up and, and we, we said this. 
Like I said, we all have expectations, whether you know it or not. When you got in the car, you put in the key, you turn that ignition, you expected the car to start or you expected to have car trouble depending on where, where you are. And, and, and uh, when you got up this morning, you expected there to be hot water, whether there was or not. You know, those are, that's, you know, another problem. You expected maybe to, you know, get a kiss goodbye or however all that. You, you, we all have expectations. We can't, we can't get rid of them. The other thing that we learn, and this is from AA, <laughs> expectations are premeditated uh, resentments. And, and this is just a truth that we discovered last week, uh, that, that expectations, if, if you have an expectation for someone and they don't meet it, you resent them for not meeting your expectation. You'll see this when you go to uh, eat out at, uh, at a restaurant. You expect the food to be a certain way, the server to be a certain way, and when they're not, you resent the fact that they're not. It's just a fact of life. And then one of the things Kai uh, on our staff was talking about was that expectations diminish gratitude. When you have an expectation and it is fulfilled, you're not thankful because you expected it, right? You expected that that was going to happen. So if you're server or, or your husband or whatever, or your boss, when, when something comes along that you expected, uh, then we, it diminishes gratitude. And so all these things are dangerous. And so what we did last week is we began to just take inventory of our lives and ask ourselves, what are my expectations? I'm driving to work. There's all sorts of traffic. I'm really frustrated. What was my expectation? Where did that come from? And so last week we were asking ourselves this question, do you want a, a God to meet your expectations or do you want to meet God? Do you, do you want to go through and say, look, God, I expect to have this spouse, this job, this life, all this kind of stuff. And if it doesn't happen, I'm going to blame you. I, this is owed to me. Or in the midst of our unmet expectations, because we all have, or in the midst of analyzing our expectations, do we want to meet God? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Is what, what, do we, what do we do with the expectations we have on ourselves? Because we all have them. Some of you are sitting right now here and you are thinking about some things you wished you had achieved that you had not achieved. And it, it weighs you down. Some of us had thoughts about where our bodies would be, where our finances would be, where our relationships would be. And those things, those expectations, because we didn't, we didn't get to them, they just weigh us down. And what does God have to say about that? So we're going to look in a section of scripture um, out of 1 Corinthians. And basically what happened was Paul uh, wrote a letter to this church in Corinth and it wasn't, we call it 1 Corinthians, but there was actually another letter that was written by Paul, which he references in 1 Corinthians. We'll just call that 0 Corinthians, since we don't know where it is or what it said or anything. But I was texting Bob earlier this week, and I said I'd give $1,000 to find 0 Corinthians, because that would just be so cool to get that. But um, he, he had already written them this this uh, letter. And we have, we've been introduced to this church before when we talked about communion. And we'll touch on it a little bit uh, later as well. But here's what's happened. This church has started. And, and Paul started the church. Paul was like the founding pastor. And then another pastor comes along like Apollos. 
okay? And then um, they were starting to get letters from Peter. Uh, and so they started getting the, so there's kind of like several apostles that are uh, affecting this church. And here's what the church starts doing. They start getting um, some expectations for what an apostle is supposed to look like. And they start to kind of talk amongst themselves. Well, I don't, it would be, it'd be like this. It'd be kind of like a, if like this side of the room loved Pastor Bob and he was everything you wanted in a pastor. I, I understand that. He's everything I want in a pastor, okay? And then this side is like, no. Jean Vier is like who we want to lead our church. And then I'm just like left out in the cold. But that's kind of what it's like. It, it's, it's like, and, and, and you'll see this happen. You know, when you change, if you've ever been in a church that's changed pastors, you've seen this happen. You you either you didn't like the one and so you're like, oh, this is so exciting. We're getting a new pastor. Or you love the one and the new one comes and you're just looking at him like, Bleh. you know, I, you know, I expect. Because for a pastor, we all have, we have these expectations, okay? So, so like for me, I have expectations about what I'm supposed to be as a pastor. And so you can kind of see how discombobulated it could get. You, you could expect your pastor to be just like the most loving like look into your eyes, you tell him all your problems and he's just, or she's just crying and holds you and spends the entire day just, you know, just together, right? You could have an expectation, no, 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 that's, I want my pastor to be in charge, man. I want him to be on TV. I want him to be, I want him to be strong and a good administrator and I want the church's finances to be great, but not too great because I don't want him to be rich and I've seen those types of pastors and then I, I want him to be, you know, I want him to come to all my birthday parties and I want him to have a present, one that he made that has a Bible verse in it, like, like all, all these kind of things. Now listen, that doesn't happen here, right, because you've got the perfect pastor. No. No, that doesn't happen here. I don't feel that. But you know what does happen? I feel that for myself. Like I'll come into different situations and go, I should, I should, I should, I should. Now listen, I'm not alone. This isn't just unique to pastors. If you're a mom or a dad, you feel the same way. You, you, you maybe come to the dinner table or the lack of the dinner table and you look and you go, you know what, I should, I should be a better cook. <laughs> You know, I should, I should make more money. I, I should be there. I should be there more for my kids. I should, because we have these expectations that we put on ourselves. This was all happening in the church of Corinth. And they started to pick sides. I want to follow Apollos. I want to follow Paul. I want to follow Paul. I want to follow Cephas. I want to follow Jesus. And so here's where we find it right here. This is what Paul saying first he he says to them you guys are doing awesome you got all these great gifts you got all these great strengths you're 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 moving forward in speech and in conduct God bless you and that was him just bringing the fist back now we're, the fist is coming forward here it goes I appeal to you brothers and sisters can I have my glasses yeah I'm like giraffe oh no <laughs> it's brothers okay um, <laughs> I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions. Divisions happen with unmet expectations. Part of the church expects it to be this way. Part of the church expects it to be this way. Divisions happen in a family because part of the family expects this and part of the family expects this. It happens in corporations. Part of the department expects that we should be doing this and part of the department expects that we should be doing that. 
He says that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Wow. Paul is telling the church to be united in mind and thought, which I don't know what the difference between mind and thought is, but I'm sure there's something if I went back and looked at it. Perfectly united in in mind and thought. And then he goes in and explains it. He goes, some of you guys are going after Apollos and some after Paul and Cephas. He goes, has Christ been divided? Like, have we lost the importance that Christ is supreme, that Christ is foremost, that the things of Christ are the things that should be shaping our lives? And so he says, has Christ been um, divided? He goes on in verse 17 and he says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize. It it might be that Cephas, Peter, was like the great baptizer. Every time he came in, people got baptized. And so that's why that group was going after there. Apollos, as you go through the scripture, you get the sense that he spoke better than Paul did. Maybe he was slicker or he had better analogies or whatever. So Paul goes, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with wisdom and eloquence. This is how we get that. He makes some other mentions of it later. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If you ever have a Bible or you go in your iPad and you could highlight or whatever, you might want to highlight or underline that word power. That the cross of Christ, he didn't want to empty of his power. In other words, this is what he's saying. I didn't want you to be distracted by expectations. I wanted the gospel to come just right like it is. That, that as foremost of sinners, that Christ would come and die for me and save me from my sin that I could have a relationship with my heavenly father. I didn't want to talk. I wanted it to get uh, um, empty of its power. So then he goes, he spends the next 13 verses plus chapter 2 and chapter 3, talking about the difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. And in that time, and we're going to touch on just a few verses, in that time, we start to understand where our expectations come from and how to get rid of them. And so here's what he says. He says, even like as it comes to church, people have expectations. He says this, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. This is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. In other words, as Christ is elevated, a lot of times our expectations aren't met because we thought something else was going to happen. He says, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Again, if you're reading in a Bible or you have the ability to underline, you might want to write this. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Okay? So these people were getting all caught up in expectations for their leaders. They were getting all caught up in expectations of what church should be, of what community should look like. And so here's the kicker. This is verse uh, 25 of chapter 1. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Here's what happens to me. I'll leave that up for just a little bit. Here's what happens to me with expectations on myself. Whether I'm placing them on me or someone else is placing them on me. If I haven't gotten 
as far as I think I should be, I work harder. So that's just my personality. If I think I should be farther, I work harder. And so whether it's in my career, then I, it's nose to the grindstone. I, I'm just, I'm just going gonna, just gonna to do it. If it's in a relationship, then I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work harder. You know, we should be farther. I'm just going to work harder. If I want to go farther, I work harder. And there might be, probably in, in a lot of different areas, we're the same in that. The other thing that happens, if I don't think I can meet an expectation, I'll give up. <laughs> I'll, I'll, if I can't make it, I'll just go, you know what? Now, here's the thing. That is all human wisdom and human power. First of all, who says I should be farther? Where does that come from? Is that coming from a family of origin issue? Something that my mom or my dad, is it coming from an insecurity in my own heart? Where does that come from? If you can pick an area in your life right now, I should be thinner, I should be richer, I should be something farther along in my career, my grades should be better. You get, a, you get that report card and you look down and there's just a sinking thing. I'm trying as hard as I can. I just, where, where is that coming from? And the question is, is it human wisdom or is it coming from God? Are you going to solve it with human power or with God's power. This is exactly what Paul is talking about. This is a key verse here. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Whose standard are we going to be living up to? And then he goes on and he goes, you know what? When you guys became Christians or when you guys started this whole thing, none of you were wise. None of you were influential. None of you were noble. Like He's like... Like when you came to Christ, you got the whole message of the cross. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. Like that whole simplistic, simple, foolish kind of non-powerful thing. You, we came to Christ that way, but then something changed. He says, you weren't that. He said, but God chose the foolish and the weak and the lowly to shame the wise. It was your weakness that showed how strong God was. It was your foolishness that showed how wise God was. It was the fact that you had no nobility that God bestowed honor upon you. So then he goes on and he says this, so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but on God's power. I want you to think about that for just a second. That your faith in God might not rest on human wisdom. You could almost say it this way. That your life might not rest on human wisdom. That the expectations you have for yourself that people have placed on you would rest in God's wisdom. Now he talks about this a little bit because if you think about Paul, he's in the midst of it now. Imagine you go start a church, this is Paul, or a company. Let's say you start a company. You start a company and you work and you just, you do every, you give your all for that company. You sacrifice stuff for your family. You, you, I mean, you are just, you are just working and working and working and working, slaving over this company. And like after year five, it makes a little bit of a profit. And you're going, oh man, 
it's finally coming around. It's finally coming around. And you get to a point where it can sustain itself and you go on to do something else. And another person comes in and begins and that company just begins to take off. And everyone in that company starts going, you know what? It would have gone a lot faster if the second guy were here early. They begin, this is where Paul is. And so as you read these chapters, I was telling Lisa this week, I, I, I kept reading over because we were in this sermon, we're actually touching on four chapters in 1 Corinthians. There seems to be parts where Paul is explaining himself like you or I would do. Well, let me tell you why I, I didn't, you know. It's because if you had only known what I was going through, like you, you get the sense that Paul's kind of like making, not excuses, but just giving reasons for it. I could have done better on my grades, but I was so busy. I had to, I had to get a second job, I, you know, like all, all this kind of stuff. And so, so I read it and I'm like, no, the apostle Paul, like get feeling insecure. And so I, I read it again. I read it again. Then I got to this one part where Paul goes, I'm speaking figuratively about me and Apollos. He essentially goes, stop it. Stop having these expectations that something should be different. And you go, well, then what am I supposed to do? Paul gives us the answer right here. As he starts to talk about you know, what people think of him and where he should be and how he spoke and what he did. He settles in on this section of scripture that I hope uh, for all of us we're able to take into this week. And at first it's going to sound weird or it's going to sound like, wow, that's like really aggressive speech that he uses. But as we begin to take all of this in light of the first four chapters or and, and we begin to kind of analyze it, we'll see this is really great advice that he gives, okay? He says this, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. I don't even judge myself. Now, what this could sound like is, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. It's like, well, you've got an anger problem. I don't care if I got an anger problem. I don't care. Well, hey, you know what? You might, you might be <laughs> drinking just a. I don't care. But anyway, that's kind of what, doesn't that kind of sound like that? Like, I don't even judge myself. I don't even, I don't even care. I'm going to live my life my way. That's just immature. I mean, that, that, that's just, I mean, as you see those lives and watch them play out, it's usually just, an, that's not what Paul's talking about. Because this, whole idea of judged is not condemned or pointing fingers or, you know, your problem is this. It's assessed value. The New American Standard says, I'm not examined. In other words, if you were at, uh, going up for auction, you were a, let's say, um, an antique, the, the, the person who appraises, the appraiser will take that antique and begin to examine it and go, hmm, there's a little smudge here. Oh, I can see they repainted it here. That brings the value down when you do that. And whatever, you're into cars or whatever, they'll go underneath and go, ah, those, you know, this part's gonna, it's gonna cost you. This part's going to cost you. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm not going to let other people give me value. I'm not going to let them analyze my life and go, you know what? That first marriage, mm, that's going to bring you down quite a bit. Sorry, but you lost 25% of your value on that marriage. 
Oh, yeah, let's see. Man, your career. Mm, how long have you been at that job? 25 years. Yeah, you should be up a little higher. I'm not, we're, gonna, we're just going to knock down a few points. We're going to start the bidding a little lower. <laughs> that's what that's saying. I'm not going to let anyone sit on my life and look and give place value. As a matter of fact, and to me, this is the, the second part's the big part. I'm not even going to give myself value based on what I see. Because, you know, as Bob and I were talking about this verse, one of the things we wanted to trap for was the person who thought, well, I don't even care. That's really hardly anyone in this room. Most of us have this second problem. I don't judge myself. Because we walk into our home and we see what it looks like and we go, yeah, I'm I'm just, we look at our kids, we look at our job, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we go, I'm going to have to dock points for that. And we're going to have to start the bidding a little lower. Paul says, "Don't, don't, don't do that. See, this idea of human wisdom and godly wisdom, that verse in 125 that we looked at, really comes into play in this next section of Scripture we're going to look at, this next verse we look at. Because human wisdom says this, your value is dependent on your actions, on your history, on how you've handled life so far. That's the value we're going to place on you. That's human wisdom. And the problem is when we accept human wisdom, we want to fix it with human power. So we want to explain, well, the reason my first marriage didn't work is because she was psycho, you know, or like whatever. You know, we want to make excuses like, no, no, don't count that against me. Increase my value. Or, or the reason I haven't been moved along in my job is because my boss keeps, the man keeps holding me down, right? It's like, it's like we try to do that. God says, don't worry about that. Don't do that. It's all human wisdom, human power. Get rid of all of it. Here's what Paul says. He says, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. In other words, it doesn't remove my accountability. Okay, I can't just go through and go, hey, whatever. I'm a child of the king. I can do whatever I want, right? Listen, it is the Lord who, Lord who assesses me. And assesses my value. God does that. God's going to pick me up. And he's going to look at me. And he's going to go, man, this is, this is really great. This is, this is an awesome piece of work here. I could really see where this would fit in my kingdom. This is, this is perfect. I love, I love this piece. I don't, I don't see any spot, any blemish, any wrinkle, nothing. This is really good stuff. This is what Paul's talking about. Now, if we have a God who assesses us this way because of what Christ did on the cross, why would we go back and assess ourselves with people's expectations and our expectations for us? Why would we do that? He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. I don't assess value even to myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. 
You know, you know what he's saying? I think he's saying, I, I really need God to assess my life. Now, what happens when God does that, for those of us who are in the hands of the potter, is there are some things that he'll do to, that says, hey, we need to make sure this changes. You know, there are some parts in your life that you got to get worked out. There are some things we're going to work on. You're still kind of a work in progress, but, you know, this is perfect. I'm just going to, I'm going to fix some things up here. It's, it's going to be awesome. This is, this is what Paul's saying. I want to place my, myself in God's hands for this. 